0: 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And let's stand for the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 12 All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will be, not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach. And the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but will also raise us up through His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. But the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God, in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Let's have a seat and pray. Lord, I ask that uh, this would be a time where we would come to your word, God, and that we would receive it, Lord, that it would be Lord, that it would be like food to a famished man. Like it would be water For those of us who are thirsty, Lord, that it would nourish us and change us and encourage us and convict us in ways that only your word can. And Lord, I pray that you would use me to preach well this morning for your glory, God, that your word would be communicated well, that we may be transformed Mourn to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior, and it is in His name we pray this morning. Amen. So, moving along in 1 Corinthians, Pastor Keith last week spoke to us about lawsuits, and he ended the passage with Paul's, uh, what is known as Paul's vice list, right? So Paul has this list that is not exhaustive. It's not the list of every kind of sin, but it is a general list that pretty much will um, encapsulate everybody to some extent. And he's saying that these sins and these people who live by these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then Paul says, and such were some of you, but but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Amen. So Paul has talked about the fact that this is who you were before Christ, and now that you are in Christ, you have been made into something else. Amen. You have been washed, you have been sanctified, that's, that's just a... That's, um, The word there in Greek is is holy. You've been holified, right? So you have been sanctified. I just wanted to make that clear that what has happened is that you are being, you positionally before God, he looks at you in Christ and he sees you as washed, he sees you as holy, he sees you as justified. You are not guilty, you are not dirty, you are not impure in his eyes because of what Christ has done. But obviously, in the flesh, we still have to live in this world. And as Pastor Keith talked about, we have this battle between two kingdoms. We have this battle between two worlds. So Paul says, You have been brought out of that world, and now you are brought under the world that is living according to the lordship of Christ. And then he goes into our passage that we have this morning. Verse 12 is, is, a, is a, one of those passages where you can look it up in the commentaries, and it's going to be one of two ideas of what's being communicated, and um, they're all split. So, I would like you to know that I have come to the correct answer. <laughs> um but after, obviously after uh, being in this passage and, and, and studying it, and it was actually a, a passage that I had done some work on even in seminary, um, I, I, I think what is being uh, communicated here is that Paul is quoting a, a Corinthian maxim, like a saying that they had, and he's kind of confronting it. So um, he says all things are lawful for me, Paul is not, um, he, he's not making a statement that he can just do whatever he wants. Instead, he's trying to counter a false idea that has arisen in the church where there is total freedom in Christ. And because there is total freedom in Christ, what we do in the body no longer matters because our spirits are what are saved. So Paul is going to confront that, and he starts with, All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. The first implication that I want us to see this morning in this text is that your liberty in Christ, which is true, You are free in Christ. You have liberty in Christ. But your liberty is for the profiting of the body of Christ. It is not for appeasing the flesh. So Christians do have liberty. But this idea of complete liberty that Paul is confronting here is not only illogical, but it's unbiblical. And we live in a world that likes to think we have complete liberty. But it doesn't work. It doesn't, it doesn't actually make sense. Because you cannot have competing liberties without some form of bondage. And I'll, don't worry, I'll parse that out. But um, basically, if you have complete liberty, then there really is no liberty. Because you can have a different idea of what your liberty is, and if that conflicts with my liberty, then where do we go? We see this in the world today. When people shout, my body, my choice, that's a conflicting liberty. Because we know exactly what that's referring to. When something like abortion takes place, it is not simply your body, your choice. You are pregnant with a unique set of DNA living within you, that God is, con- is knitting together in the womb of a mother. It is not your body, your choice. Those are conflicting liberties because your liberty now is conflicting with the liberty of your child. That's right. So one is in bondage. And I think our culture has done a good job of telling us which one is in bondage. See, the world likes to think it has liberty, but it cannot offer a consistent worldview on even something like that. It's illogical. It's also unbiblical. See, you are not permitted to have liberty over the natural laws of God. No one has the liberty to just get up and fly out of this window today. Men cannot become women, and women cannot become men. And according even to our passage this morning, is sexual liberty defies God's natural law for the body. So what Paul's confronting here is this idea of liberty has been twisted. It's been misrepresented, it's been misused, it's been misunderstood in the Corinthian church. And so what Paul actually does in saying all things are lawful for me, but... It's an, it's an emphatic but, it's an emphatic disagreement, but not all things are profitable. So Paul's changing the starting point. A lot of times we like to think that the starting point is our liberty in Christ, but Paul's saying, no, no, the starting point is not what are you free to do? The starting point is, what is profitable? What is profitable for the body of Christ? What is profitable for the one who belongs to the Lord? Which is why he says also, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. So the response is, instead of what I want, it should be what is helpful. And then in the second response, we have to recognize that we are idol factories. We are prone to serve and worship just about anything. If you don't believe me, then think about the things or the habits in your life that you have not been able to get rid of. For some of us, it's sex. For some of us, it's food. And no matter how hard we try to say no, we keep going back. And we think, well, maybe it's really not that bad. We are idol factories. We are prone to worship. That's how we were designed by the Lord, to be worshipers of Him. But after the fall, we have exchanged the worship of God for the worship of man and for the worship of idols and for the worship of created things. So Paul's saying, yes, all things are lawful for you, but you only have one master, If you think you have free reign and liberty, you're really, you're living like a fool. Because what Paul is saying here is that even though you have this liberty that you speak of, you have very very clearly become uh, mastered by something. And what Paul's saying in this letter in a lot of ways is, you've been mastered by the culture. You've been mastered by the things that the world says are good. And you've allowed those into the church. Our sole master is Christ and what he commands. So while we have liberty in Christ, it would be better for us to look at that liberty as no longer being in bondage to the sin that we were enslaved to. Yeah, you have liberty in Christ, you have been made free. which means you are now free to do what you were created to do. Worship the Lord, serve the Lord, love the Lord, and obey His commands. Something that you were incapable of beforehand. So the issue for Paul is about what helps, not what hinders. And as we notice in the rest of this passage, and even in this letter, Paul doesn't just simply give a list of what not to do. And sometimes we, as Christians, especially when we're talking about liberty, we can get stuck in these lists of what we're allowed to do or what we're not allowed to do. And it becomes, for a lot of Christians, a long list of just don'ts. Right? Don't drink, don't listen to non-Christian music, don't go out and do this, don't do that. And I get it, I get that, because really it's a lot easier for me to tell my child, don't do something, than to sit down and talk about why, or to explain how to do things rightly. So it's easier even to tell a Christian who has failed at something in their past life, just don't do it anymore rather than teaching and discipling them how to rightly live going forward. It's easier to say don't drink than to disciple a person about the meaning of wine in Scripture and how, a life, uh, how to live a life of self-control. It's easier to say no more sex, no more relationships, I've failed at that in the past, it's not how I'm going to live life going forward, and to just make a list of don'ts instead of discipling a person on how to be a godly husband or how to be a godly wife going forward as a Christian. But let me ask you something. Which of those two would be more profitable? A list of don'ts or a discipling in how to live rightly? So what Paul does in our passage this morning is he takes the time to explain The beauty of living rightly. He could have just simply said, Flee sexual immorality. Don't do it. But that's not all he says. The Christian life is not just about abstaining from the things you cannot do, it's about learning how to live rightly in the presence of your master. And specifically here, Paul is concerned with how to live rightly in light of your resurrection body that is joined to Christ. So then he continues on. Yet the body is not for immorality. Some of your Bibles say immorality. The word is porneia. It is sexual immorality. So if you have an ESV, it'll say sexual immorality. Paul says, Yet the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord is for the body. Now God has not only raised the Lord, but he will also raise us up through his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? May it never be. Or do you not know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, The two shall become one flesh but the one who joins himself to the Lord is one spirit with him. Therefore, flee sexual immorality. Every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral man sins against his own body. Here, what the text is telling us is that your body is for the Lord precisely because you will be resurrected as Christ was. Your body is not made for sexual immorality. Your body is made for the Lord. Now this, is, this should be confronting some ideas in the Corinthian church who think that the body is just kind of a, a waste. It's a, it's a shell, and it's just going to waste away anyway. But the Spirit is what lives forever. And Paul is confronting that false idea that the body is not a waste our bodies are joined to Christ and will be resurrected like Christ was. The same resurrection power that was used to raise Christ from the grave is the same resurrection power that will raise your body from the grave in the day of the Lord. So the human body is important because it is going to the resurrection glory. The human body, in some sense, is eternal. Though we are ashes to ash and dust to dust and we do return to the earth, it is our bodies that will be raised, not just our souls. In eternity, you will have a physical body. It will be a glorified physical body. But Paul makes it clear in 1 Corinthians in our passage here and in 1 Corinthians 15 that it will be a physical body. And it will be your physical body because you are joined to Christ. And so therefore, Paul says, we are not to join our bodies to things that are not joined to Christ. We are not to join our bodies to things to things that are not joined to Christ. And this is why I think Paul puts such a large emphasis on fornication here. He's talking specifically about the physical act of fornication with a prostitute. And he says that this is a unique kind of sin. Well, why? Why is it a unique kind of sin? Because it is a form of joining yourself... To someone else. And that's why he quotes Genesis, where the two become one flesh. This is how God has designed sex. This is why God designed it to be within the covenant of marriage. Because in the physical act of sex with another person, God has designed it that you would become one flesh, you are joined to that person. So this is why Paul says it's a unique kind of sin because really it's really the only sin in Scripture that we see where it is a joining, a physical and spiritual kind of joining to someone else. There is a part of you that is connected to one that you have sex with. Which is why Paul says that if you sleep and have sex with a prostitute, you have joined yourself to the prostitute and therefore are joining Christ to the prostitute as well. And he says, shall this happen? And he says, may it never be. This is how God has designed sex. It doesn't matter if you didn't love the person. It didn't didn't matter or doesn't matter how old or young you were. It doesn't matter if you were married to someone else later on. The circumstance is not the issue for Paul. The circumstance of how the sex took place, whether it was a cultic prostitute or whether it was a, a prostitute who was in it for money, that's not the concern. The concern is that the physical act itself has grave consequences. This is why God took it so seriously in the Old Testament law that if you fornicated, if you committed adultery, if you raped, you were given the death penalty. It was blood guilt because what you have done cannot be restored. It was a unique kind of sin. And that's what Paul is getting at here. The consequence is the same. Sexual intercourse was designed by God to become one flesh with another person. And that is exactly what sex does. It didn't change because we messed it up. And that is why God had designed it solely for the covenant of marriage, because you were called to be joined to that person for the rest of your life. And now you are covenantly joined to Christ. And this is why you're not to join yourself to anything or anyone who is not also joined to Christ. I mean, when you think about it, it's a form of committing adultery. You are joined to Christ, and if you go outside and try to join yourself to someone who is outside that covenant, it is a form of adultery. You have committed adultery on the covenant that you have, been made, with, that you have made with Christ. You are joined to Him. And therefore, you should only be joined to someone, one other person, who is also joined to Him. And this is why. Christ will not be joined with the wickedness of this world. See, what the prostitute really represents here is the realm of death and darkness, and Christ will not be a part of it. He cannot join with it. So we are joined to Christ, and the the way that we are joined to Christ, by the way, is that, as Paul says here, that... um, we are united not only in the resurrection of the body, but we are also united in spirit with Christ. And this is the spirit of Christ that now dwells within us. This is I always tell the guys at Wayside, I said, if you want a great picture of the triune God at work, open your Bibles to John and just read chapters 14 through 17. If you want... If you want a lesson on the Trinity, the best place to go is John 14 through 17, because that lesson on the Trinity is from Jesus himself. And what Jesus says in John 14 is that when he sends the Spirit to dwell within us, that it will be a home for him and his Father. Why? Because it is the same Spirit that was within Christ. So the Spirit of Christ now lives and reigns and dwells within those who are joined to Him. Amen. Then he says, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Do you not do, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is In you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Your body is now a temple. And it is created for temple work. One of the amazing things that we see in Scripture if we trace this idea of the temple, is it is a place of God's dwelling. In the Sunday school class, we've talked about how uh, the account of creation actually mirrors how we see the construction of the temple and the construction of the tabernacle in the book of Exodus. Because what God has done is He has created a place for Him to dwell with man. But what happened at the fall? Man sinned, and the world was tainted. So, the Lord then makes a people for himself, and he gives them the blueprints of how to design a place that he may dwell among his people. This is the tabernacle. Later on, it was put in a singular place built by Solomon, and it was the temple, and the Holy of Holies is where the Lord came and he dwelt. But it was never meant to stay that way. The end goal was never meant to just be a singular place where God would dwell in the holies of holies and people would have to travel all across the world if they're going to talk to God or communicate with God or have their sins forgiven. The end result was always the same, and that is that Jesus Christ would come and he would be the temple. This is why in John chapter 2, Jesus would say, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And they're thinking he's talking about the physical temple. They say, look, it took 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it up in three days? And Jesus says that, um, or sorry, the Apostle John said that Jesus was speaking about his body. He is the temple of the Lord. Why? Because he is the presence of God incarnate. He is the image of the invisible. When the glory of God left the temple in Ezekiel, and Israel is exiled, Israel is released somewhat from exile and they get to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem and eventually a temple of free will build, But the glory of God does not re-enter the temple. The presence of God does not return until Christ comes. And he dwells among his people. He is the true temple of God. He is the true way to see the Father, right? Okay, now, this is the amazing thing. Christ then ascends into heaven, but he says, I will not leave you as orphans. So he ascends into heaven to continue his uh, ministry in heaven. He's got a priestly ministry and he's got a kingly ministry. He's sitting on the throne in heaven. But he says, I will send a helper. And this helper will live within you. He will dwell within you. And it is through this spirit that I, Christ, and my Father will make my home within you. Well, where did Christ and His Father and the Spirit, where did they make their home? In the temple. So Paul is absolutely right to say that if you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you are the temple. Where you go, God goes. So it is the presence, the Spirit of God who lives and reigns within you. So Jesus says, now you go and you do the work, the mission that I have given to you in Matthew 28, and he says, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Well, how is Jesus able to say that he is with us always to the end of the earth? Because it is his Spirit that lives within us. Amen. Amen. So, Paul is right to say, That you, your body, is not simply a shell to be wasted away. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It is the New Testament reality of the Old Testament shadow of the tabernacle and temple where God dwelt in the Holy of Holies. And now you are the temple that houses the Holy of Holies. Because the Spirit of Christ lives within you. and therefore it means that your body has an owner. You are not your own, you were purchased. You were bought with a price, with a price. And so therefore, since there is an owner, Christ, your body as a temple only functions properly when it follows the instructions of the owner. Christ has given us His people, His temples, He has given us commands, and we only function properly when following those commands. Now, I know that maybe for some Christians that is a hard thing to take because it may sound like I'm trying to add works to the gospel, but that is not the case at all. You are saved by grace through faith, not of works, but you have been transformed into something greater. You have been transformed to now house the Lord of Lords in yourself. And so you are not allowed to taint the temple. You have liberty in Christ. But you also have temple work. Your body is now the temple, which means it's meant to glorify God and bless others, because this was the work of the temple. The temple had a mission, the temple had worship, and the temple had community. And I'll get to those more in a minute here. But first, I want us to understand that if we've been called to live life a certain way, if we've been called to flee sexual immorality, if we've been called to live this life out as glorifying God, as Temples right here on earth that we are the temple of God, then we have to understand that Christ has taught us how to use our bodies properly. Everything He did was according to the will of the Father. The commands that we see in Scripture, the way that things have been laid out of how to treat your body, uh, how to look at things like sex, how to look at food, how to look at um, work, all these areas are not just up for grabs and they're not just neutral things that God has just kind of wiped his hands of and says, well, I, I grace. I guess they just do what they want because they got my, my grace now. No, he has established in his word and it is exemplified in the life of Christ in the gospels how we are to live and look and act and glorify the Lord with our bodies and with our life. The end result, of course, was how we were bought with a priced price. I keep saying that past tense. Um, Christ died on the cross. And he was raised from the dead, purchasing each of us to himself. So if you are joined to Christ, you have been bought with the price of his life. Amen. And it is only through Christ that you will receive the same kind of resurrection of Christ. See, you know, Ralph had said at the beginning he, he was praying that if someone were in here and they didn't know Christ, that today would be the day that you would be saved. And, Of course, I pray the same thing, but I just have to say, look, it's one or the other. You will be raised. You will either be raised for glory or you will be raised for destruction. But you will be raised. And so the command of the word of God is that you would repent and you would cry out for the mercy and grace of our Lord and Savior, that he would wash you and cleanse you, sanctify you, justify you, that you would stand before God, resurrected, and He would look at you and see His Son, Jesus Christ, and allow you entrance into the kingdom for eternity. And that's not a request. It's a command. It's a demand of God because there is no other way of entry. You must be joined to Christ. So for those of us who are saved, we are joined to Christ. What is some application from this? Well, the first and most obvious would be the application of verse 18, where Paul says, flee sexual immorality. Right, I mean, that's the context. This is the example he used. Flee sexual immorality. Now, he uses the context specifically of fornicating with a prostitute. And maybe you're not fornicating right now with a prostitute. Maybe you're not fornicating at all. But we know that any form of sexual immorality will grow. If it is not, if it is left unchecked, if it is not brought into the light, it will grow. So right now, if you are sleeping with your girlfriend or sleeping with your boyfriend, you need to stop. You need to flee. You need to seek help and accountability from the church. God has designed your body to be joined to one other person in the covenant of marriage which means that that someone also needs to already be joined to Christ. So if you have an unbelieving girlfriend or an unbelieving boyfriend, they need to end the relationship. You are not called to be joined with somebody who does not know the Lord. You can disagree with me. You can think that's harsh. Your quarrel was with the Lord, not with me. Christ cannot be joined to the darkness of this world. And if you are struggling with sexual immorality of any form, flee. Get the help, get the accountability, get the protection set up, get the elders to pray over you. You know, I remember that scene from Fireproof where he takes the computer and he throws it in the trash. Flee from it. But don't just make it a list of don'ts. Instead, get trained and discipled on how to use your body properly. We need to be trained and discipled for the proper temple work and function of our body. So let me ask, how are you using your Christian body? Is it to glorify God? Is it to bless others? Is your body acting like the temple of the Lord? So I want to give three things of how we act like the temple of God. The temple had a mission. The temple was meant for worship, and the temple was built around community. The temple had a mission. It was to be a gathering place for those who had submitted themselves to the Lord. Isaiah 56 tells us this and Jeremiah 7, that it is meant to be a place that Jer- uh, Isaiah 56 tells us that anybody who has submitted themselves to the covenant of God whether they were a Gentile, a foreigner, or a eunuch, is allowed entrance into the temple. They are allowed to come and worship. Jeremiah 7 tells us something similar. When Jesus is chastising the money changers, at the temple, he's chastising them because of the stumbling block that they had put for people to come and worship the Lord. Why? Because Israel was not called to be a stumbling block to the nations, they were called to be a light to the nations. That is what temple work is. That's why we are given the mission from Jesus Christ to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he says, Lo, I am with you always to the ends of the earth. You are a temple now, but you are not a temple stuck in Jerusalem where people have to gather year after year or festival after festival in order to encounter the living God. Now you are the temple called to that same mission, but instead of them coming to you, you are called to go, right? So you are called to be a light to the people in your life around you. You are called to evangelize to those who are lost. You are called to disciple those within the church. Everything in your life is to be expressing the glory of God and the mercies and grace of the gospel. So there's temple mission but there's also temple worship. Your Body is to be a body of worship. It is not to be a body for freedom to do whatever you want to do, act however you want to act. The temple was a place for worshiping God. And now our bodies too are to be worshiping the Lord. We are to be in the Word of God, right at the temple what would they do they would read the word of god they would sing praises to the lord it was called a house of prayer for all peoples and it was sanctifying right that's with the sacrifices that were taking place this is a sanctifying place so now your body is meant to be the same thing your body is to be enacting the same kind of worship being in the word being a person of prayer. Singing praises to the Lord, even if you don't think you have a good voice. I love, Jay always comes up and he says, look, I'm not a singer. But I tell you what, he's singing every week. Because why? Because he's a temple. We're called to worship. And lastly, our bodies are to be Sanctified. because the temple was a holy place. And then lastly, temple community, right? So we had temple mission, temple worship, and then temple community. See, the temple was also a place of gathering. Temple work was not meant to be done alone. It was not meant to be done in isolation. There's no lone wolf Christians walking around just doing ministry for the Lord, but not partnering with anybody else. That's not a reality. It just doesn't work that way. That's not how God designed it. The temple is a place of community, but it is community with the people of the covenant. And we now, as Christians joined to Christ, we are under a new covenant, so we are gathered together to do temple work with those who are also joined to Christ and are also doing temple work. Paul imagines... That when you flee sexual immorality, you are doing so within the context of the body of believers who will come alongside you and walk with you and do it with you. You are not called to do temple work alone. So you've been given as a temple of God, you've been given a mission, you've been called to worship, and you've been called to the community of believers of other temples, if that helps clarify that. And we do this in light of the fact that we are united with Christ and we understand that we too will experience and look forward to the same resurrection that Christ experienced. Where we will be raised and brought into glory for eternity. And that is what we look forward to. That is the hope of our hearts and it is with that kind of hope and expectation and joy that we come now to the table this morning for communion. Where we recognize that this is a time for believers to gather together and remember what our Lord has done. This is meant to be for us to remember that yes, you were bought with a price and the price was the destruction of of His body on the cross, His blood being poured out for sin, but also in the joy of the resurrection, the victory that was won over sin and death. And as we partake in communion together, we celebrate as well the fact that we know the victory has been won and our Lord will return. And we will then experience the same resurrection to glory that he did. So I'm going to pray. And as I pray, um, if Greg could come up and if uh, Jay could come up to uh, release the rose for communion. Um, Let me just say this too, that this is a time for believers. As Ralph said at the beginning, we pray that you would become a believer this morning, that you would dedicate your life to Christ that you would submit yourself to His Lordship and cry out for mercy and salvation. And if you do that, then you are welcome to gladly come and partake of this communion with us. But if you are not a believer or if you are living a life that goes counter to what we just talked about this morning and you see no need to repent and change, then I would ask you to please abstain from partaking in communion. No one's going to judge you. No one's going to shame you. No one's going to look at you because you didn't get up. But it is for your benefit because the Lord does tell us through Paul in 1 Corinthians 11 that if you partake of this in an unrepentant manner or because you're not a believer, then you will suffer consequences for it. It is actually for your judgment instead of um, for celebrating and for victory. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I ask... Uh, That this time would be glorifying to you, God. I pray and thank you for the cross, Lord. And I pray that each of us would continue and grow in the temple work that you have called us to. That we would recognize that we are joined to you, Christ, And it is with joy and hope that we look forward to the resurrection, to glory. What an amazing time that will be. And so I pray, Lord, that we live our lives with just anticipation and hope. And with smiles on our faces, Lord, as we know that you have bought us. that You have purchased us with the price of your life so that we could live for you and glorify you and experience this incredible relationship with you for eternity. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.